Welcome back to the Hysteria Continues, uh, Continues even, episode 261. And this time we're headed off to the Greek island for a little R&R and a little bit of cannibalism with the uh, infamous video nasty Anthropophagus the Beast, a.k.a. the Grim Reaper, a.k.a. Eating Rosemary's Baby, um, which uh, that title will become clear later. It's not a real title, but obviously... Tisa Farrow, who, of course, a zombie flesh eater's fame, uh, is the sister of Mia Farrow, who was, of course, in Rosemary's Baby. And if I have to explain a joke, it's not very funny, is it, Joe? Um, Eric? Uh, uh, uh. Anyway, yes, we are going to be covering the Joe D'Amato classic, well, classic in certain terms, uh, video nasty uh, a little bit later. And Eric, this is your choice. So are you feeling proud of yourself? Very, 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 very proud. I, I feel like Nathan. This is what it feels like to be Nathan. Nathan, I'm so sorry I've said all the mean things to you over the years. <gasps> How rude. You're taking them all back. I take them all back. Okay. How rude. How excessively rude. Well, talking of Nathan, uh, he spotted, because er, um, Eric reviewed Anthropophagus. How long ago was it? That was eight. That must be about 15 years ago, maybe more. Wow. And Nathan, uh, you spotted a little, little something in the review, didn't you? Yes, was that has that been there the whole time, Justin? It has. It just goes to show the jokes never change. <laughs> it's just how old that joke is. Yeah, there's a scene. If you've seen Anthropophagus, which I'm sure you have, there's a scene where a tourist is listening on his headphones, and uh, and then gets um, a, a, what's it, a hatchet to the head or like a. And <laughs> I, I wrote something about him listening to Toya. But anyway, as they say, the the the, uh, the jokes continues or not. So, um, and Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, I'm going to enjoy a three-day weekend. Oh. And actually, I talked my boss into letting me work from home on Tuesday. So Excellent. I even have a little bit longer so of that, time at home. Is that Memorial Day? Yes. Ah, okay. Is it going to be a massacre? Well, I was wondering, you guys, if, if you want, we could cover Memorial Valley Massacre again. I think I'd prefer it to, the, to what we're about to talk about. <laughs> hey! Mm, Eric, you know how I feel now. I do. I actually kind of liked Memorial Valley Massacre. Yeah. I did too. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you enjoy your three-day weekend. And uh, Joseph, how are you doing? Are you looking... Well, from what you said, it doesn't sound like you're looking forward to your trip to the Greek islands. I'll have to wake up before I can go. Well, it's always early. So we're, as you, if you are a regular listener to The History Continues, you know that for myself and Eric, it's a very um, civilized 1 p.m. in the afternoon. And for Nathan and Joseph, it's more like... Well, early, not early, early morning, but it's certainly... 8 a.m. Yeah. coffee o'clock. So, um, okay, well, let's uh, let's have a quick chat about what we've been watching recently. So, um, uh, Eric, do you want to go first? Yeah, the only thing I've watched really of note is I saw the new Dario Argento film, uh, Dark Glasses or Black Glasses, 
as it's also known. Um, I can't remember the the actual Italian title. I didn't write it down here. But uh, so this is um, his first film, I think, since Dracula, which was 2012. So it's the first film in a decade. Uh, this one has a maniac targeting prostitutes, uh, and one such lady, her name is Diana. She uh, is in a car accident whilst fleeing from this maniac, and she's blinded as a result. And the car she crashes into results in the deaths of the of the parents of this young uh, boy called Chin, uh, and they form this kind of unlikely alliance then uh, as they try and track down the killer because uh, she's blind and she needs some helper in the house, so uh, she sort of ad- almost kind of adopts him in a way. Um, so this, this film looks quite good. It, I mean, it looks like a proper movie, whereas things like Mother of Tears and Dracula looked quite cheap and, uh, you know quite throwaway this one has i suppose tonally it looks more like sleepless which was one of argento's more accomplished films um in his from his sort of post 80s oeuvre um and the opening half is quite promising uh we see this woman trying to adapt to her new life of um you know blindness um and she has uh, assistance from a helping hand played by asia argento but where the film falls down for me big time is in the thriller aspect in that it's not terribly thrilling. Uh, there are some murders. Uh, none of them are very interesting. And fatally, there's no real mystery to the plot either. Um, so it, it's it's not really a, a standard giallo as that. the. I won't go into spoilers, but there's, there's no sort of big reveal at the end. And the film just falls flat. And it feels, to me, it felt pointless when it got to the end. It was like, well, there was no story. What was the story? Did I miss something? Um, it's certainly technically much better than his, some of his recent stuff, but just story-wise, for me, it just... Nothing nothing happened. Nothing interesting happened. Didn't thrill me in any way. So, uh, did anyone else catch it yet? Well, it sounds like business as usual for yeah. old Argento. That's a shame. Oh, I hate to hear that. Yeah, I've not seen it yet. I, I kind of... Um... Because I, my understanding was it was a film that he'd been developing for quite a long time, hadn't he? And I think the the the, the deal to make it fell through 10, 15, 20 years ago, I think, maybe. Um, so, uh, so, but yeah, that sounds like a shame. But, um, mm. you know, I, I, I will catch up with it at some point. Maybe a second viewing might improve things. Maybe I missed something first time around, but I, it certainly felt very lightweight. Mm. Have you had a chance, Nathan, yet? No, I haven't had an opportunity to see this one yet. I like Argento, though. I even like some of his more recent work. I mean, it's not as good as his, you know, uh, stuff from the 70s and 80s, but I still kind of like it. So I feel like I will like it this as well, probably, okay. hopefully, maybe. Well, let's see when uh, more of us had a chance to see it, get a consensus. But uh, thank you, Eric. Anything Anything else? No, just catching up on uh, films for future podcasts. Well, we're going to uh, talking which obviously we're moving on to 2002 of our top three. So if you've been joining us over on Patreon for those, uh, you know, we just did a, a bumper show. It's about they all run to about an hour and a half, don't they? The top threes. So uh, mm-hmm. lots of content. So get over to Patreon if you're not already on there and join us. So uh, a nice little plug there. But thank you, uh, Eric. Uh, Nathan, how about you? Um, well, we're covering another movie uh, on Patreon where a killer uses a musical instrument uh, and a weapon. It's like a combination. And Callie, please. Wow. I thought you were listening to the new Susie album. Oh, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because we're watching, you know, a, a movie where a killer uses a musical instrument as a weapon, I decided to rewatch the Slumber Party Massacre Part 2 because I feel like a hundred times is not enough times to watch it. I need more. You need you need a pie in the sky is what you need most. What I want most is a pie in the sky. Do did you pick up any like new nuances in that film? Well, I mean, I you know I, I know like the the basic you know uh, nuance to the to the film about it's it's has a lot to do with trauma and uh, wow. trying to move on with your life. Wow. Mm, okay. Yeah. Deep, deep man. Deep. But your trauma kind of holds you back. That's Courtney's trauma from the first movie. It's true. It is true. I know what Courtney's getting for her birthday. A boyfriend. <laughs> well, thank you, Nathan. Any, anything else? No, just stuff that we're going to be discussing. Okay. And uh, Joseph, how about you? I can't remember the last time I watched a new movie. I'm, I, I, can't, 
what what is out? I mean, I, I I try to find the newer stuff, but there's like nothing out right now. Firestarter. And yeah, see, that doesn't really interest me because yeah. I don't re- like the original Firestarter. So I don't, I just don't have anything this week. Well, I mean, I could mention um, I'm completely caught up on Better Call Saul, and I'll mention it because um, they have an antagonist uh, on there who uh, they they use a lot of horror movie flourishes to kind of accentuate him from time to time, and it's re- it's really interesting. But I, other than that, I'm 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 stretch I'm reaching here. Okay, well, that's no problem. We've got plenty to say, I'm sure, on uh, our feature presentation. But I, I'll just a couple of things I watched. Um, I had a friend around the other night, and we watched The Exorcist 3 uh, from 1990, the William Peter Blatty uh, second sequel to uh, The Exorcist. And I hadn't, I'd bought the Arrow double disc uh, when I was back in the UK last time, and I hadn't watched it. So I, I was really pleasantly surprised how well it uh, sort of holds up. Um, I'm going to this week. I'm hopefully going to uh, watch the um, the director's cut uh, because, which I think, because you've seen both, haven't you, Eric? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it right into thinking that the because there's loads? I've got to dip into all the special features on there as well. I haven't had a chance to yet, but um, that uh, the original in the original there, there was no exorcism. No, and the, the the director's cut kind of ends quite abruptly. I'm I'm sure that's because they didn't have a chance to finish it properly, but um, it just feels to end very suddenly. But it's still a great film. I think it's. Uh, oh yeah. I mentioned it before. We saw it at the uh, shock around the clock at the Scala in 1990, and uh, that that scene, the corridor scene, got a standing ovation. So, so, and it's still very effective. So I was watching my friend who hadn't seen the film before to see if it still worked, and it does. So uh, that was good. The, the the new film I seen was one I'd kind of been reading lots and lots about, uh, and it was the the film The Sadness. It's the Taiwanese um, extreme horror movie. Uh, about um, you know, it, it, well, it's kind of like a kind of you get another twist on the zombie sort of uh, train to Busan type thing. Although in this, it's more it's more to do with like a kind of COVID exploitation, I kind of guess, um, where a, a virus mutates and it causes people who get infected to lose all inhibitions um, and become psychotic uh, and uh, basically, you know, to start killing people in horrible ways raping them uh, and doing all sorts of horrific things to anyone who isn't infected uh so i kind of i heard it's an it's an adaptation or a loose adaptation of a comic which i can't remember the name of now um and i kind of heard it mentioned the same ter- same terms as uh, serbian story which is another kind of extreme horror movie from about 10 years ago and I would say it's not; it's very gory. I mean, it's in, it's a wash with blood, pretty much from and bodily fluids from from beginning to end. Um, but the problem, and it's it's kind of handsomely produced. It looks good. It's well shot. Um, uh, but it's let down in a number of ways. One is that the main the main problem is it's kind of it, it has no it, the pacing is all over the place. It has no momentum at all. Well, that sounds familiar. What? It has no momentum at all. (laughs) With this, it's kind of, it it kind of, it meanders from one extreme gore set piece to another. Uh, It's, it's, yeah, the pacing is just strange. Whereas the film we covered on Patreon uh, last, or this month just gone, uh, Train to Busan, which was, uh, you know, the uh, South Korean zombie movie, which is, once it starts, never lets up. It's kind of full on, you know, goes full pelt throughout. And also the characters. There's, there's kind of, the, there's like no story here really, apart from this, this, this man trying to find his girlfriend in a city that's kind of gone to shit, basically. But it, it does have some pretty extreme gore and ex- extreme violence, and some. There's a, a great scene on a commuter train where uh, people start getting infected and start attacking each other, and the whole, whole carriage is awash with blood. So if you are a fan of extreme horror, which I can dip my toe into, I'm not, you know, it's, I used to be more interested in it than I am now, but it's, uh, yeah, it's worth a watch, but I wouldn't, uh, it's not, certainly not the second coming as it were. So anyone else had the pleasure or displeasure of the sadness? Yeah, it was in my recently seen. No, it wasn't. Exactly. Yeah. You didn't get it? Mm, No. Sorry. My jokes are bad today. I experience the sadness when I listen to Susie. Oh God! Um, let's um, let's cheer ourselves up with a trip to the Greek islands, and Eric's going to take us all there um, as an able seaman. I can smell <laughs> him when he comes. <laughs> exactly, and we have a trailer here, don't we? So, Eric, you'll bring us back. You'll bring us back off after this. A flash of steel, an unearthly shriek, an 
icy breath. A knock at the door. Omens of evil. Warnings of death. An invitation to terror from the Grim Reaper. Innocent travelers trapped in a mysterious house. Tortured by a malevolent force. Destined to discover the hidden room in the realm of the Grim Reaper. One by one, he tracks them down. One by one, they disappear. One by one, they come face to face with the ultimate terror. And now, he's coming for you. The Grim Reaper. Yes, the trailer for The Grim Reaper, a.k.a. Anthropophagus. Uh, Sorry, so- Eric. I just got to say I'm so glad I was on mute during that trailer. Why? Because I, I laughed a hundred times. <laughs> it does make it sound like an action movie. No, I'm talking about the he's coming face to face. Oh, right. He's yeah. coming for you. <laughs> anyway, this is from the back of the 88 films Blu-ray. Perhaps the most notorious video nasty of all time, Anthropophagus is back to deprave and corrupt a fresh wave of horror film viewers. Now you're going to love this next sentence, Joseph. Joe D'Amato cemented himself into genre film history with this slickly directed and sinisterly suspenseful creature feature which has some unprepared tourists arriving on a desolate Mediterranean island only to find themselves stalked by a silent, cannibalistic Neanderthal. So there we go. That's the blurb from Anthropophagus, which is uh, slickly directed and suspenseful. There we go. You can't you can't deny it is slickly directed. Yeah, I've seen a few sleep medication commercials in my time, but this was the best. Mm, harsh, I think. So this is the, uh, this is the notorious Joe D'Amato cannibal slasher set on on a secluded but unnamed Greek island. Uh, the plot is very basic. Six people travel to this island, find it's deserted, and then they start getting killed off one by one by this very tall man with who looks like he's being made up as a very cheap Klingon. Um, so to the 14-year-old me, when I started getting into horror films, this was one of the most tantalizing-sounding films ever. Uh, I was conjuring up this kind of wall-to-wall disturbathon, you know, and total gore fest. However, when I did catch it, probably in the early 90s, I would say, on a really bad nth-generation VHS dupe, I was struck not by the uh, mayhem on display, but rather by the the languid pace of the film. Uh, This was my first experience of a Joe D'Amato film, and... You know, it was probably quite early on in my Italian exploitation movie watching. And, uh, I, you know, I'd probably seen a, f- a couple of Fulci films and maybe a couple of Argento ones at this point, And this one couldn't help but pale in comparison. Um, you know, its reputation had very much preceded it for me. And rather than being the wall-to-wall gore fest that I had imagined in my head, it, it had a small handful of scenes that had gooey effects that maybe amount to about 90 seconds out of a, a, a 90 minute runtime. Um, I kind of appreciate it now though. Uh, you know, and oddly, I kind of like the first half more than I like the second half of the film, which is quite, of an, I, I think it's the polar opposite to most people's reaction to Anthropophagus. Um, you know, the first half isn't exactly action packed. I do love the opening with the, the German couple on the beach. And there's, there's that, that guy wearing those absurdly large headphones, even by 1980 standards, those headphones are obscenely large. He might as well have sellotaped two hi-fi speakers to his head. They're that large. But he does get the the first sort of gore scene in the film where he gets the meat cleaver to the face, and um, which is where, you know, and Justin has captioned it that he's listening to Toya or something. Anyway, it does take a while before the next scene of terror occurs um but we do get lots of sort of fun um elements leading up to that tarot card reading scene that's um it's quite laughable i also love the scene where the pregnant woman sprains her ankle getting off the boat and nobody seems to care 
that she sprains her ankle and they're all like, oh, you'll just have to sit there and put your foot in the bucket. We're off. Bye. I mean, she doesn't seem to complain, in fairness. But it does lead to her accidentally putting her foot into a bucket that has a really fake looking severed head in it, which always makes me chuckle as well. Uh, I kind of like the travelogue nature of that meandering first half of the film uh, where that piece of music that sounds like Zorba the Greek, uh, it's it just plays incessantly. It's it's kind of torturous in a way, but also kind of funny. Um, and, it, you know, the, the first half of the film is very much, if you've seen Joe D'Amato's Black Emmanuel series of films, you'll know that his travelogue, you know, leanings mean that you're just going to get lots of endless shots of people walking around the streets of this uh, Greek island. And not a lot is going to happen in terms of horror. Um but it does feel like the film is building towards something. And I think ultimately it does pay off in a way. Uh, the second half has its moments, you know, including that infamous outrageous scene where the pregnant woman is attacked in the catacombs. Actually, I find that um, that scene in the catacombs, I find quite atmospheric and quite eerie. Um my interest does wane, though, in the final half hour, which, as I said, it is odd because that's where all the sort of gore and, you know, quote, action is is in the film it's you know uh there is quite a lot of scenes of people wandering around uh with candles in very badly lit rooms well in very dark rooms but the film doesn't exactly look a million dollars even on the uh, 88 blu-ray which is the best it's ever looked but it's still you know there's day for night photography that looks phony and then there's really dark rooms that that no amount of light is going to be able to let you see what's happening but um I do like the scene where the lightning flash occurs and we see uh, George Eastman's anthropophagus character standing behind the bedroom door. I thought that was quite effective. Uh, The woman hiding in the barrel of wine, that was a bit odd. Uh, I I love the scene where we flash back to see what caused George Eastman's character to turn into this kind of cannibal character. We learn that he's um, he was stranded out at sea in a dinghy with just his wife and child, and he got so hungry that he started to devour them. Um, but what happens is that uh, it's very clear in the shot that they're about mm, seven, eight meters from the shore. You can tell by the way the waves are that they're, they're, they're very, very close to the shore. So it kind of ruins the illusion that they're supposed to be stranded in the middle of the ocean. So overall, I mean, I feel... The film both fails to, to meet expectations that I had as a 14-year-old, but it also kind of exceeds them in that I've read many reviews since, the, and I know that Joseph is going to um, probably reiterate what a lot of reviews say and that the film is deathly boring. Um, so, you know, it, is, it isn't a non-stop gore fest as its video nasty status had me to believe. But I don't think it's it's quite the bore fest other people think it is either. I think there's enough kind of going on in those early stages um, to keep me um, entertained anyway. And I find the pacing more slack in the finale where, uh, I don't know, I just find the it, it just kind of wears out its welcome maybe in the final 20 minutes or so. Although it does end up with that brilliant scene of you know when there's nothing else to eat, start eating your own intestines scene, which is great. Um, it's semi-sequel absurd, which we did a commentary for, I think, didn't we? We did, yes. Yeah, that's a superior film, in my opinion. It doesn't have the the wonderful sort of Greek backdrop, but it, it is has a faster pace, has more action, and it has that kid with the perm who says, the police were here, daddy. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a better film. And we also learn, actually, for those who need to know this, that uh, George Eastman is hung like a donkey in that film. Um, because he's wearing some very tight jeans in the opening scene and uh, HD, watching it in HD, you can tell that he's uh, generously endowed. Um, Justin, I don't think you're a big fan of this film. Am I right? Well, funny enough, I've said this before, but sometimes I've got this thing where I think I've seen a film. I'm sure I've seen a film. And then when I actually watch it, I realise maybe I've never seen it before. Now, it could be the case of this, or it could be that I fell asleep and I've tried to watch it before. I'm not sure, because this is the kind of the the video nasty equivalent of a sleeping pill, or one of those kind of um, those kind of podcasts you can listen to that uh, sleep hip- hypnosis. So I managed to stay awake throughout it, and you know, to be fair, there are a couple of you know, there, I, I there's lots of stuff to enjoy in this. I mean, any Italian horror movie from the early 1980s 
has a certain je ne sais quoi. It has a certain something to it, and this certainly does as well. I mean, it's got uh, you know um, Euro dubbing. It's got sunny locations, but it is no you know it's no eyeball. Put it that way. It's it's. I think it's um it's probably its biggest problem is it's so leisurely paced uh, that it doesn't really. There's there's very little in the way of kind of typical. You're talking about the Dario recent film, but until the the last um, 15 minutes where uh, George Eastman uh, morphs into Michael Myers, uh, and it clearly Halloween was a, a major influence on certainly the last part of the film, even down to him heavy breathing uh, and chasing Tisa Farrow around this mansion. Um, it, it has any kind of semblance of a kind of thriller narrative at all. Um, so having said that, I mean, there's, there's lots to enjoy here. It doesn't make a lick of sense really, because you've got this Greek Island where presumably George Eastman's character, the, the boogeyman or whatever he is, is, has eaten everyone on the Island, uh, or put them in his, in the crypt as snacks for later. Um, but although he's eaten everyone, there's a, there's a general store open, which seems as strange for a, a deserted island where he's eaten everyone and a random woman who's just walking around. Um, who was the random woman anyway? Was it his sister or something like that? Was it explained? I don't know. I kind of, I kind of missed that. I was trying to work out what it was. And it has, um, you've got, uh, kind of Serena Grandi, who of course was, um, the uh, she was in uh, uh, Lamberta Barber's Delirium, aka Photos of Joyo, kind of in much more voluptuous way. And she's bizarrely in this, she's kind of wearing this horribly frumpy early eighties kind of maternity dress, um, and uh, clumping around on high heels, which isn't probably the best idea if you're heavily pregnant. Which is why she um, she sprains her ankle. A couple of other takeaways were that I like the way that um, Joe D'Amato, his kind of equal opportunities in which films he's going to rip off. And of course the Italians at around this time were um, infamous for their kind of uh, taking inspiration from popular American films. And of course the year before this, the Tisa Farrow starring Zombie Flesh Eaters, a Lucio Fulci movie, um, had obviously taken its inspiration from the George A. Romero movies. Uh, and so in this, you've got also got um, at the beginning, I, I like the idea, the, what he's hinting at is that Anthropophagus is also like basically an aquatic monster because he's swimming underwater like Jaws and then morphs into Michael Myers in the end of the movie. So he also looks a bit like Oddbod from Carry On Screaming, which I couldn't get out of my head once I realised that. Uh, he looks like he's fallen asleep in a bowl of oatmeal. Um, um, but mm. having said that, I mean, the the kind of... the the the, the the fetus eating scene is um is certainly a, a showstopper you know it kind of i can see why when if that was viewed in isolation why this would have been seen as a video nasty although it obviously everything looks very fake in this and certainly the end scene where he pulls out his own guts and starts munching on them is certainly something i'm not quite sure what it is but it's certainly something um i it's yeah it's kind of you know it's it's not a great movie you know i he even throws in that the scene with a kitten running across a piano making a noise which i love kittens obviously but it's kind of you know the, you know he's i don't he's clearly wanting to make his version of halloween but also on a greek island which should be a fantastic thing to do but i don't know He's got lots of fun bits in it. That tarot reading is kind of almost in real time, putting one card down every 10 seconds going, ooh, ooh, and it goes on for about 10 minutes. Um, yeah, it's not a great movie, but I kind of, I had some kind of slightly masochistic fun with it. Uh, and for me, it's kind of any early 80s Italian horror movie, and in fact, pretty much any early 80s kind of trashy, um, and I mean that in a, a good way, trashy horror movie, is I can still find some kind of popcorn fun with it. So it's, yeah, it's not one I'm going to return to. And I do agree. I think the sequel, which of course we talked about being, again, more influenced by possibly Halloween 2 or certainly having more in common with that, um, is a much, uh, uh, say, better film, but certainly a, a faster paced film and a gorier film as well. So, um, but yeah, I'm glad we're finally covering it. So thank you for picking it, Eric. Okay, thank you. Nathan, what do you think of Snufflepuffagus? I love Snufflepuffagus. I, I do understand what you guys are saying about the pacing. It, it definitely is a, a slower paced movie, but it's just, it's got enough here that I really enjoy. One thing I couldn't figure out from the beginning though, is if Carol knew the cards were telling her that they were all going to die on this island, why did she go anyway? 
I mean, she couldn't talk them out of it, but she could herself could have been like, well, I'm not going. I guess it's just one of those questions that you'll just we never have an answer to. Like later when um, they're hiding in the attic, how does Anthropophagus know um, exactly where to bust through to grab the girl by the hair and pull her through the roof? Mm, He must have some kind of motion detection device or something. He had a stud finder. He was like beeping on the wall. (laughs) Beep, beep, beep. It's definitely true that like there are long paces or long parts of the film where nothing really is going on. Just a lot of walking around the island and uh, just chit chat. I did love the um, the scene where Carol locks uh, uh, Tisa Farrow. uh, I can't remember her name now. um, Locks her in the cemetery because she's jealous um, and if I'm remembering right, um, like Julie, that's her name, Julie, Julie even turned the guy down because she asked, you know, what's going on with you and Carol? Um, so, I mean, she didn't even do anything wrong and, you know, kind of got punished for it. Although in Carol's defense, she did apologize later mm. for what she did. So I think she did feel bad about it, you know, before she got her throat slit. I got a feeling that Carol was a bit of uh, Sally slash Daniela. Yeah, I thought she's a bit like Eric. That. I thought it's kind of you reminded me of Eric a little bit when you know one of your strops. <gasps> you whore! Sorry, continue. Um, uh, but yeah, I love the movie. I think it's um, it's it's a lot of fun. It's very over the top, ridiculous. Um, um, I you know the the scene where he eats his own intestines, um, was uh, definitely memorable. Um, I actually really like the scenes at the end around the well when. Um, he's menacing uh, Julie and, you know, she's like kind of got that rope like wrapped around her arm and she's hanging in the well and everything. I think that's actually a pretty suspenseful moment. And like you said earlier, there's the scene where he's in the um, the room and the lightning strikes and you can see him there. That was a really good moment, too. But, you know, it just it it is. It, I think that like you guys, the sequel is probably the better film because I think it, it's paced better. Like it's paced, you know, like with the killings throughout and everything. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's got better pacing. Uh, but overall, like Anthropophagus is just what I like about um, my 80 slashers. I mean, it's got everything I need, which is group of uh, people trapped in a secluded place getting picked off one by one by a maniac. And that's, you know, it's what I like the most. So I uh, really enjoyed that about it. And, um, uh, you know, I've seen it several times and I would definitely watch it again. Why? I just find it entertaining. Why? Because I think the tarot cards are kind of fun. Um, but yeah, they, um, yeah, I like the uh, the scenes with the, the tarot cards. And Carol, like, it does not have a good poker face whatsoever. You know, I mean, she might as well have told her, oh, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, but anyway, no, no. I, I love it. I love the movie. So, yeah, thumbs up for me. Excellent. Joseph, are you awake? Rock-a-bye, baby, <laughs> on the treetop. Um. As you know, I may have said this before in the past, but I, I, I have sleep issues. Like, I suffer from sleep paralysis from time to time. But I had the best night's sleep I've had in years last night, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I like, you know, I like the gore stuff in this film. I think there's some really good effects here. And I, I don't know, I, I was searching for symbolism in those effects because at the end of the day, they are just effects and I need some form of momentum or suspense or, you know, characters I like. And I did kind of like the characters here, but I just felt like I, this had to be the most unevenly or I guess sluggishly paced movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, I was laying on the couch watching it and I got about 25 minutes into it and I started dozing off. So I was like, okay, I need to sit up. So I sat on my recliner and uh, for some reason, I don't know how it happened, but I found myself like reclining back instead of sitting up watching the movie. So I dozed off again. So finally, I just I went and sat in my office chair and I forced myself through the rest of the movie. And, you know, it's it's got some great scenery. You know, like I said, great effects like you guys have mentioned already. But I'm, I don't know a movie that can put me out like three times and then I actually have the best night's sleep I've ever had. Um, maybe I should give it a thumbs up. I don't know. Well, it's a good endorsement for people who 
have having sleep problems. So. No, it's, the thing is, is that I don't really remember much about it other than those kind of standout moments where, you know, he's munching on his own guts or ripping out a fetus from somewhere. And I did like the finale where, um, uh, they're, they're, they're near around the well. I don't know. You know, like you said, I mean, this movie's just like a travel log. It's people wandering around doing next to nothing. And that's what I got from it. Did you not like the scene that went on for about 10 minutes of, um, T. Safaro walking around with the candle from going from room to room? Well, I was kind of interested in the flame, how it danced. Yeah. How it found entertainment and all this, but no. Yes, the flame signified us, and the candle was... Burning out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Deep. No, Deep. Um, no, I don't want to trash on it too much. It's just, I just found it boring. That's the, the long and short of it. I just, uh, I wasn't entertained. Absurd is much better. And to the point of that, I think something like Humongous that has the, the whole shipwreck kind of thing going on, I think it, it certainly is better paced. Um, it's more, I guess it's more slasher-esque, or it's more of a slasher. So I think it's you know, it's got that going for it. And something like um, from the 70s, like uh, Tower of Evil, definitely does that whole shipwreck thing a lot better. But um, yeah, I mean, <sighs> neither thumbs up or thumbs down. I just It's something I'm going to have to force myself to watch again at some point. But oddly enough for the show, it was just kind of a struggle to do it. <laughs> so, sorry. Uh, okay. Not to worry. That is the general consensus around uh, Anthropophagus is that it's a bit boring. But uh, as I said, um, I would have agreed with that um, opinion maybe uh, 30 years ago when I saw it for the first time. As I said, it was an nth generation VHS. It was very difficult, particularly the scenes that were dark. It was impossible to make out what was going on. But since I have acquired it on uh, Blu-ray, I've got a new appreciation for it. It looks a lot better. It still doesn't look a million bucks. Yeah. Um, um, it's still very man, grainy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if you better have the uncut version because like those old VHS things, they're useless without all the gore. I mean, absolutely, they're coasters. Yeah, because I originally got this on DVD under the title Grim Reaper. It came out over here uh, in 2002 on the Hollywood label, and it was the cut version that was released in the States under the title Grim Reaper. And uh, yeah, there's no point watching it because there's none of the money shots in there. Unless you really want to see people walking around with a candle for a lot of uh, the time. Hey, if you want a good night's sleep, pop that sucker in your VCR. Although it did have the scene where the woman sprains her ankle and everyone just walks off and leaves her there, which still makes me chuckle every time I watch it. It's kind of like, it kind of reminds me of what would happen if I sprained my ankle. You'd just all walk off and leave me there. But she did have the, uh, the able seaman with her, didn't she? Oh, Justin. Not sure we could carry you, Eric. <gasps> we just need to get a bit a chunky kick out on a bit of string and drag it behind us and you'd hobble after us. <laughs> yeah, let's see, let's see him hobble. He'll hobble after that. <laughs> Well, I'm just thinking, like, if I was anthropophagus, like, if I'd gone, like, I can go, and this, you're gonna, this is going to astonish you, I can go at least 10, maybe 15 minutes without a chunky Kit Kat. How good is that? But, I mean, if I was stranded out in the middle of the ocean, I would have to start eating things and people. And the dinghy, probably, as well, I'd have to eat. You wouldn't try, like, to fish or anything? Hmm? You wouldn't try to, like, go fishing? Nah. But also, wouldn't you just go out of the boat and walk to shore? I probably would have, yeah, and gone to the shop and got myself a chunky cat. Yeah. So, any other thoughts on Anthropophagus, or would we go into background? Well, do you think? Do you think? <laughs> do you think it was worthy of its video nasty? Because this is one of the ones that got the. Um, it was probably one of the most notorious. Yeah, I think just for that one scene with the with the fetus, the fetus eating scene. I think if that hadn't been in it, I'm not sure it would have warranted being on the list. No. No, no, I think you're probably right. I mean, it's interesting that this kind of came after the, because he made um, Beyond the Darkness, didn't he, the year before this. That was his kind of necrophilia. This was his cannibalism film, the, the um, Beyond the Darkness, his necrophilia film, which I bought on uh, pre-cert video in many years ago uh, under the title uh, Beyond the Darkness, I think it was. Uh, and it it was, um, it was, all the gore was cut out of it completely. 
So um, it, it was kind of it's it's funny, isn't it? These films. I remember seeing. We talked about it before, but the, the Living Dead at Manchester Morgue when that got re-released, all the gore was cut out of that. Um, and it's really does it kind of really ruins the films because unfortunately, especially with this film, if the gore's missing, what is there really apart from you know um, you know a Greek travelogue? I know we've talked about this before when we discussed Absurd twice, but um. Is that film really actually a sequel? I mean, for me, after watching Anthropophagus again, it just feels more like it was a, a remake of the formula, but it was a completely yeah, different I think, movie. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it's more of a remake of, a, of the formula rather than a direct... Well, it's not a direct sequel because the guy has a different name. Uh, and I just, yeah, I just, see it misla- I just see it mislabeled as a sequel all the time, so yeah. I don't think it is. No, it's, it's not really. It's more of a companion piece, really. Although it did start off being called Anthropophagus 2. Yeah. I think it may have originally been intended to be more of a sequel. But um I but yeah, I mean it's well I mean, should we get on to some background? Yeah. Nathan, do you have any background? Oh <laughs> Joseph, do you have any background? I had not really background per se, but this is the first um uh like VHS tape I got off of Alt Horror back in the late nineties. Um, I got it from the Gourmet, so thanks to Gourmet for let, for showing me this film. Very good. Um, this was probably one of the first ones I I got when I started buying um, uh, tapes in the early nineties. And uh, as I said, I was really excited about seeing Anthropophagus, but um, yeah, the reality was a, a bit of a letdown. Uh, Justin, do you have any background before I do? Yeah, well, I'll go, I'll go through a few bits, but I won't go too much because I know you probably got quite a lot. But I was going to say that it was, um, I couldn't find any evidence it got released onto cinema in the UK. Uh, so um, when I looked it up on the BBFC website, which is the UK censor board, uh, I had it down under the title The Savage Island. And they called it a 1980 slasher movie about a group of friends who take a holiday on an island where they are tormented and killed. Uh, so, um, it, so it was infamous for being a video nasty. It's released uncut um because it's, i'm sure if you're listening is your au fait with the the whole video nasty thing but the the reason why it got it became such a a big thing partly was that there was a kind of wild west year or two um where videos where any film that was released to uk cinemas had to go through the um the the censor board and given a certificate or outright banned or they insisted on cuts Whereas the uh, the law hadn't caught up to videos when they came they came out uh, originally that films were released without any without rating basically so they didn't go through the BBFC so um, some people were thinking they could make a lot of money considering obviously the gory horror films were very popular in cinemas at the time so in in Italy uh, elsewhere in Europe and in the United States that they released films like this uncut onto um, onto uh, VHS. Uh, and that just caused a massive issue. And they kind of famously um, cut together uh, image um, uh, scenes, including I think probably the one with the fetus, uh, and um, so and showed them to MPs or politicians and uh, to try and get uh, kind of knee-jerk legislation passed, which of course took everything out of context. Uh, and I, I'm sure if they watched the whole of Anthropophagus, they would have all had a good night's sleep. So, but anyway. Um, the in the United States, the film was released as the Grim Reaper, and bizarrely, I mean, it's got a great. I don't know if you've ever seen the poster for it, but it's got the you know things like he will tear you apart, and it's got George Eastman's face looking quite scary um, with his teeth, kind of this kind of grimace. Uh, and it was released in October 1981, um, uh, the same month as Halloween Two came out, I think. Uh, and it got um, it got re-released uh, the following year, and late in 1982, the, the Zombies Rage or Zombie Rage. Uh, and I'm not sure if that was the uncut version or not, but then it got re-released in 1983 on a double bill with the House on Sorority Row, bizarrely enough. Um, I couldn't find any contemporary or releases, um, sort of reviews from around that time of the movie. So, um, so it, any, any, usually if I saw it in, on, um, being reviewed or in the reviews, it would say, uh, this film has not been reviewed or not been submitted for a review. So, um, unfortunately, there was no, you know, so I couldn't take any of that away from it. But uh, um, I've got a few more bits to say, but I'd see what you come up with, Eric. 
So this film was shot in Italy. A tiny bit of it was filmed in Greece for the exteriors of uh, Athens that are shown early in the film, but it was filmed in Greece, in Italy predominantly, in April and May of 1980. The Italian coastal town of Sperlonga doubled as the town of the Greek on the Greek island. And uh, the island that we see the boat approaching in the film is actually Ponza, which is an island off the coast of Naples. The film was, comp- or the music for the film was composed by Marcello Giombini, and uh, his music was replaced in the Grim Reaper version released in the States. You, they, they used music from Kingdom of the Spiders instead, apparently. Um, the fetus eating scene was used on TV in the ni- in the 80s. I heard News at 10 mentioned as the program, but it was u- they were using it as an example of snuff movies, and they were convinced that this was a snuff film on British television. And uh, they use that scene uh, uh, from uh, Anthropophagus. Uh, the AKAs for the film, you've mentioned a few of them, uh, Justin. The Savage Island is actually the title that appears on screen on the um, 88 films Blu-ray. Uh, also called The Man Eater as well. Um, yeah, around the time of uh, Zombie Flesh Eaters, uh, they were looking for a director for that film, the producers, and they read their original choice was Enzo Castellari, who passed on it. But their second choice was Joe D'Amato. So Joe D'Amato could very well have directed Zombie Flesh Eaters, uh, but he wasn't interested. He was, I think he was busy, must have been busy doing Beyond the Darkness at the time. But uh, Lucio Fulci was their third choice. You know, imagine being in, the, in that pecking order below Joe D'Amato. But uh, as we say, the rest is history. Fulci went on to a very successful sort of patch of horror films after that. Uh, Justin, in my research, I found a link between Susie and the Banshees and Anthropophagus. Did you discover this link? Hmm, no. What was it? It's not It's not rude. It's not me being rude. <laughs> In case you're wondering. Okay, so T. Safaro's sister, one of her sisters, not Mia, is called Prudence. And that she's the subject of the song Dear Prudence by the Beatles, which was covered by Susie and the Banshees in 1983. So there we go. Um, Margaret Mazzantini, who plays Rita in the film. I'm not sure which, which one is Rita. I can't remember. But she was born in Dublin anyway. But the guy wearing the huge headphones, the absolutely huge headphones... His the actor's name is Mark Logan. Have we heard from Mr. Logan recently? I wonder. Oh, I, it took me a second to get the reference. I was like, yeah, okay, Mark Logan. Um, the UK release was on a video label called VFP Video Film Promotions, which was released the film in February of 1983 onto VHS. As Justin was saying, I don't think there's any evidence of it playing theatrically in the UK. But uh, it, yeah, it released February 1983, and then by no- the 28th of November of the same year, it was banned. So it lasted on video shelves legitimately for, what, nine months. Um, the advance advertising, uh, an advance advertising um, note in Video Business Magazine in October 1982 listed that Anthropophagus was on the way to VHS and described it as more horrific than Friday the 13th and Halloween put together. Um, Incidentally, uh, Absurd apparently came out in video here first before Anthropophagus did. Absurd was out in video in November of 1982, so that was predated um, Anthropophagus by about three months. Um, So yeah, releasing the sequel, well, the semi-sequel first. Uh, uh, You also, you mentioned uh, Justin, that was also released in some places as The Zombie's Rage, which again is a misleading title. Not not a zombie to be seen anywhere in this film. Um, there is rage, but there's no zombies. Um, I think that's all I have. What do you have, Justin? Well, Justin, before I, sorry, I, I was going to mention, I forgot to mention this, but uh, this movie does have the honorific of being um, one of Siskel and Ebert's dog, Dogs of the Week. Back when they were on their public access days. Oh, I thought they'd love this film. A couple of other quick things. I'm not sure if you mentioned, but on the on the 88 um, Blu-ray, there's a quite a lengthy interview with George Eastman. Uh, is it Louis, Luigi Montefiore? I can't remember if that's his real name. Yeah, Luigi Montefiore is his real name, yeah. Um, and uh, he talks about working with Joe D'Amato, and he kind of, he worked... Uh, behind the scenes, and he wrote quite a lot of the movies. In fact, I think he he kind of wrote the script for this, didn't he, with George um, uh, Joe D'Amato? There was a script, apparently, yes. Um, and he said that um, 
that uh, the uh, we talked. I think we when we talked about um, the uh, Dario Argento. Uh, I'm sure we talked about him on something where he he mentioned that uh, uh, he hated. Oh, that's one of the Fangoria flashbacks the interview. Uh, with him from the early 80s and he said that they back in then they they even had to get um go in front of psychologists uh to um argue the case for their films um not being cut by the italian censors and we're just going to presume the italian censors are much more free than the the english ones were at the time but but uh apparently in this there is on the 88 uh, blu-ray there's a deleted scene um, which isn't particularly exciting, but it's the little scene where they someone's fishing on the boat before they reach the island, and they they can they hook up what they think is a fish, and it's actually a, a severed foot in a shoe. Uh, and apparently, Joe Tomato had filmed that without any real intention of having that in the movie, but he thought that it was unlikely he'd be able to get the the the, the fetus scene through unscathed the Italian censors. So apparently, a trick at the time was to film uh, superfluous. Uh, scenes that weren't really intended for the movie but submit a cut of the film with those scenes to the censors who would then pass it and then actually just recut in the uh, the gorier elements so uh, George Eastman sort of mentioned mentioned that the um one thing that's interesting I mean I think Tisa Farrow is not the most I wouldn't say she's the most dynamic of actresses is she she had a run she's obviously Mia Farrow's less famous sister but she had a run of films from uh, from early seventies, from nineteen seventy. This she didn't make any more films after this in nineteen eighty. This is her last movie, and she kind of retired from acting. I don't. I did try and find out what she kind of went on to, but I I don't know. I think she just sort of disappeared. Uh, she'd also been in the Initiation of Sarah, nineteen seventy eight, the fantastic uh, TV uh, uh, movie horror movie. Um, now, I always thought, uh, again, watching these, she looks like she's just there collecting a paycheck. She doesn't look particularly invested in this or, or zombie flesh eaters. She looks like she's on tranquilizers most of the time. And maybe she was, maybe she wasn't, maybe that's just her acting style. But I was surprised to find an interview from her in 1970 um, where she actually appears to be a horror movie fan, surprisingly. And a very short quote from her saying, um, I want to direct a great horror movie before I die. It'll be shot in New York City with a vampire in Central Park and I will be the star. So that's apparently what she said in 1970. As far as I know, she never made that movie. But it surprised me that I just kind of, I just presumed that she'd gone like some other American stars in the past had gone to Italy right from, you know, way back in the 40s, 50s. Uh, arguably, some stars whose um, uh, stars are waning in the United States sometimes would go to to Italy, um, where they had their star hadn't went so much to make uh, movies and loaned for European movies, and I just presume that was the case for her. But it seems like she was actually a bit of a fan of horror movies, and of course she was also in the the Last Hunter in nineteen eighty, uh, also in nineteen eighty, with uh, David Warbeck, um, which is kind of like a kind of gory kind of war movie. I'm not sure if has anyone seen the Last Hunter? Yeah, mm. is it because that was out on Vipco, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And was it was it kind of a gory war movie? Yeah, it is. It's 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 okay. I mean, there's there there's a uh, a deer hunter type uh, Russian roulette roulette scene that's quite gory in it, and uh, yeah, it has um, elements of tiny little elements of the cannibal kind of movies with um, people being submerged in merged in cages and in in. in swamps that are littered with snakes and leeches and gooey stuff like that so it's it's not bad but yeah so is that just, i say what she went on to do i, I don't know but obviously disappeared uh, sort of quietly from uh from the, the horror movie scene and acting in general um and lastly i was to say that um because obviously joe damato the the george eastman um interview is, is really good on that that 88 films so you've got um uh, release of this movie and it also goes on to uh, so i'll say obviously uh, joe tomato went on to make um uh, something like it was over 100 or a couple of hundred hardcore porn movies um after mm. this and he made porno holocaust with george eastman um and um i think george eastman said he went to columbia or wherever they filmed the movies and he didn't actually know they were going to be uh, hardcore movies he didn't actually do any of the, the that stuff but he kind of uh uh, so when the the kind of the horror boom sort of um, sort of failed, as in what well, it kind of went out of vogue, uh, Joe D'Amato kind of got into more sort of uh, hardcore born movies. Well, uh, that's I think all we've got on uh, Anthropophagus, uh, the Beast. So um, what was the consensus, Joseph, on the on the forums on this one? Oh wow, this is crazy. Um, some of the movies we've discussed recently have gotten kind of low numbers. 
But uh, what would you guys think this one got? Like, how many comments do you think it got? Six. Twelfty. Twelfty. Okay. Um, Nathan, <laughs> what do you think? League of Gentlemen. Seventeen. An unexpected uh, 126 comments on wow, Anthropophagus. Wow. Yeah. That is insane. Um, as This is across Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, by the way. Um, just for context there. But uh, from that, David J. Gehrig... Ooh, it's a palindrome. Um, He writes, uh, just watch this with Joe Bob. What a flick. After hearing you guys mention it in passing so many times over the years, I could have sworn you had already reviewed it. I guess that was absurd. Um, I was expecting it to be way more ridiculous, but in fact, I found it pretty effective. It's got a bunch of legitimately scary moments from jump scares to the creepiness of George Eastman's beastly visage. The gore effects were disgustingly unsettling, and the overall mood is dark and creepy. At times, reminding me of Shockwaves. Now, that's a great film right there. Uh, It feels like an Italian zombie meets cannibal film at its heart, but the singular threat puts it firmly in slasher territory. Pure Euro trash entertainment at its best. DJ says, check it out. Four stars. Wow. That's a high rating there, David. Um, and Alex Bovenstein writes, I've watched it many times over the years because I remember the highlights, but forget how crazy boring it actually is. So you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And hey, when you're there, you can leave some comments on the movies we pick. Uh, listen on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and about a billion good and bad podcatchers. We're also on Patreon with well over a hundred exclusive episodes. We have no intention of slowing down anytime soon was our upcoming commentaries, uh, starting with Friday the 13th. That's going to be fun. Uh, feedback and all that nonsense can be lobbed our way via, uh, via the hysteria continues at gmail.com. Excellent. And we do have a bit of feedback this time, so we'll get to that. But after talking of insanely boring. <gasps> it's my joke of the week. It's so, so Did you hear about the monologue that Joe D'Amato did comparing this film to Manhunter? It was a cannibal lecture. Cannibal lecture. Cannibal lecture. Uh, I like that. I was trying to craft a joke. I had a punchline of Anne throws plops at us, which sounds kind of like anthropophagus, but I couldn't couldn't think of a way to set that up. I'm shocked you didn't say anthropophagus or poopagus. Yeah. See, Eric, I think you should have saved that joke for when we cover Silence of the Lambs. We'll probably never co- cover that, will we? Maybe. I don't know. Well, the funniest thing is you saying about you crafting a joke. <gasps> How rude. I craft all my jokes. Well, thank you, Eric, I think. So, um, uh, we have some feedback. I've got one here. Has anyone else got any? No. No? Okay. Well, I'll read this one then. It says, Hello, gents. I'm Lou from Boston, living not too far away from where Night School was filmed. I've been a massive fan since about 2014 and eagerly await each new episode. Every few months I try and branch out to other podcasts, but nothing feels quite like you guys, oh, matron. I buy every Blu-ray with a hysteria commentary without even looking at the movie. I'm not one of those loonies who listens to the commentary before watching the film. My all-time favourite episode is Pieces. Something about that episode just has insane replay value, just like the movie itself. Okay, on to my question. Have any of you discovered the wonder that is Tubi? Which I think I know Eric has. uh, But uh, they have so many classic slashes, often in HD form, that it's worth the commercial breaks. One writer-director I discovered through them is Michael Kruger, who wrote and directed the Nathan-esque Mind Killer and Night Vision, and wrote Lone Wolf in the late 80s. While no means good, in inverted commas, they all possess some strangeness that compels me to watch them again and again. Have you any of you lot seen these movies? Well, Nathan, are you familiar with Michael Kruger's oeuvre? Uh, no. Now, I think I have seen Mind Killer, but uh, it's been a very long time ago, if, if I'm even thinking of the right film. So, I mean, obviously, I need, I've got more homework to be doing. Indeed. Well, what about you, Joseph? Are you familiar same as Nathan, Mind Killer sounds vaguely familiar, but uh, I'm really not familiar. I'm getting that one mixed up with the Mind Ripper, which is the no, one. No, that- I, I definitely know what Mind Ripper is, but I the, the Mind Killer title sticks to mind. Mm. But Eric, you've um, you've been enjoy enjoying Chubies, haven't you? Yeah, but not um, Michael Kruger, I'm afraid. I have been watching all the episodes of Freddy's Nightmares. 
Isn't Tubi just so glorious, Eric? It is. And you didn't include that in your recently seen, Eric? Uh, no, I forgot. I, to be honest, I've forgotten what the episodes were like. I remember they were kind of passable, but very lightweight. But um, Time yeah. capsules, are they? Yeah, they are. They're very time capsule-y. I, I, I for, what I'd forgotten about Freddy's Nightmares was actually rewatching it here. Or what I, I didn't even know at the start was that it consisted, each episode consisted of two stories with um, some uh, peripheral character from the first story branching out into their own story in the second half, if you know what I mean. So um, they, the kind of two stories are linked in a kind of a way, which I thought was kind of fun. But um, yeah, I don't remember that show very well. I remember yeah. the Friday the Thirteenth one, but I Freddy's nightmares passed me by. Mm. Is he like is Freddy in like kind of a like a crypt keeper capacity? For the most part, he's a crypt keeper in that, but occasionally he pops in and he's a an important part of the episode. But more often than not, he's he's nothing to do with it. Cool. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, the email goes on. It says, "I also want to thank you guys for getting me through the pandemic." Um, I got laid off in early 2020 and having your podcast to listen to me made me feel like everything was going to be okay. You guys really are something magical. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear about your job. Hope you hope you mm. got that sorted. Um, but I'm glad we were some some help. Um, the email goes on. It says, wow, I need to lay off the grass. Right, Nathan? Anyway, thank you guys for being fun, informative, unpretentious and celebratory of these films. Most would happily leave in the waste bin. With love, Lou from Boston. And there is a PS, and it says, Joseph, where is gory graduation? <gasps> oh, it's such a sad sack story. Um, God, I mean, I could go in. This could take forever, so I'm not going to go into it. But uh, we, Nathan and I really, really tried. We even had a school lined up at one point, but just everything that bad that could happen has. So, I mean, hopefully we could do something one day, but it's just it's going to be so expensive. I just don't know if we can. Yeah, it's really just a matter of money. Like, there's just not enough money to make. And I don't want to go in like we did with Night Before Easter and have basically nothing. And uh, quite frankly, with stuff that's going on in the news now, it would probably be many years in the future. Yeah, true. (laughs) Timing is bad. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Lou. Um, I'm glad we've been a fan since 2014. I think this. I think well, I we have had this 261 episodes so far. So, but no, thank you, Lou. And if you say if you do want to write in, then uh, please do because uh, obviously we'd love to hear from you and uh, what we're doing right and what Eric's doing wrong. Um, <gasps> we need to know so Eric can improve if you can. Um, yeah, what else have we got to say? Is there anything else? I mean, we're, we're just about to. After this, we are going to extend our italian horror streak and we are going to be recording a patreon on paganini horror a late Mm -hmm. 80s horror effort um the emphasis on effort Uh, another one of your choices nathan Uh, eric i mean sorry yes (laughs) force of habit so what are we covering next time whose choice is it next time joseph Uh, uh, yeah it's mine i i I don't know if it's going to be worse or better than anthropophagus because i haven't seen it and i don't think any of us have seen it it's a listener pick uh, fr- from the same shithead who asked us to cover Axum. <gasps> yeah. Not David C. Molay. Yeah, and he will be a guest on the show, and he wants us to cover the 2013 film Babysitter Massacre. I think a, a friend of his directed it, and from what I understand, well, I'm not I'm not going to say anything, but it, it, it just seems like it's kind of the, uh, maybe a slightly better indie than what was going on at the time. So who knows? Well, if that hasn't compelled you to listen, I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah well i'm sure we'll have fun with it anyway so uh it's always good to have david on the show um and uh what are we playing out with eric we are playing out with the wonderful toto coelho and their 1982 hit single i eat cannibals <gasps> oh yes i remember that one so mm. excellent okay well thank you for listening to hysteria continues and i hope you enjoyed the episode and so we'll be back with babysitter massacre next time uh and uh yeah join us over on patreon if you want to hear us talking about our top threes and also some uh all sorts of interesting stuff and say we've got the friday 13th commentary coming up soon i'd like to do actually i was thinking i'd quite like to do a commentary for humongous actually that would be fun one to do wouldn't it Actually, that was the, that's, I, have, I have a list going, and that's on my list. Yeah. These kind of commentaries we're going to be doing for Patreon exclusives, it gives us the opportunity to uh, cover films that we otherwise we'd never be able to cover. And also, we don't have the, um, well, there's no censorship, put it that way. 
Yeah, I feel so terrible because when we when we did Humongous so many years ago, I shit all over that film, and I I feel terrible because my opinion has completely changed. Finally, I'll get to I'll get to rectify that. It's going to be so great. Should we do a commentary for a robot song? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, ca- yeah, we'll catch you next time. And so, well, thank you for listening, and say goodbye to the good people. Until next time, goodbye. Until next time, goodbye. Until next time, so long. Goodbye, all you beautiful people. Mm-hmm.